Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Matthew Eugene has been the city council member for District 40 for 10 years. Good morning. During that time, he has personally earned over $1 million, but only passed seven bills. Almost 30% of Matthew's campaign funds come from people in the real estate industry. They're profiting, while individuals all over this district are being evicted and foreclosed on. I was down there at HRA one time working in MTA, couldn't afford my rent. He chairs youth services for the New York City Council. Yet in the city of New York, the youth unemployment rate is at 29%. That's tripled the national average. He has one of the worst environmental records in the entire city council. He voted against a bill that would prohibit the sale and distribution of children's toys that contained formaldehyde, lead, and mercury. But can you give us more detail? He failed to support legislation that would protect a woman's right to choose. People are working harder every day, but can't seem to get ahead. I want to be a champion for those. We need a council member who will work to make sure that affordable housing is actually affordable. We need to reform our broken, racist, and corrupt criminal justice system. We need to spur economic development, strengthen small business, and incentivize new business creation. We need to expand resources for public schools and create an after-school program in every school in this district. We've got to take bold climate action to reduce and offset emissions while simultaneously working to safeguard the city from projected sea level rise. We need to create a universal health care system in the city of New York that covers every single person. Let's demand racial, economic, environmental, reproductive, and immigrant justice. My name is Brian Cunningham. I'm a lifelong Democrat, and I'm running for the New York City Council. Legacy of 1804, I am your host, Alice Backer. Today's date is uh, November 17th, 2017, and this is, I guess, our third week in a row of dealing with the uh, 40th Council District race in Brooklyn, which, of course, involves a heavily Haitian and West Indian uh, part of Brooklyn, probably the heartbeat of the West Indian communities in Brooklyn and probably even in New York, and probably also the biggest concentration of Haitians outside of uh, Florida. So uh, one that we're all looking at, also the incumbent, uh, Dr. Mathieu Eugène, is uh, obviously a Haitian-American. He has been the city councilman there for 10 years. And so, and he's now, um, he's now just going to, as a result of last week's election, start his third, third term as city councilman. And, um, but we're paying attention because uh, obviously a lot of um, Haitians and Haitian Americans live there. And obviously we, we care about uh, the community's well-being. And so um, even though Mathieu Jean managed to get himself reelected this time, uh, the chatter about the election is not over. And uh, in intro to tonight's show, I played the campaign by his challenger first in the Democratic primary unsuccessfully, and then again in the general 
on the Reform Party line, his challenger was Brian Cunningham. And so we heard his uh, campaign clip just so that we, just so that you could have an idea what some of the issues were um, at stake in the in the election that um, got uh, Mathieu Jeanne reelected. So, but things, obviously it's not over. And um, Brian Cunningham was earlier this week, Monday specifically on the Elisie Papa de Saline radio show. And he uh, spoke to Daoud André about um, some of the irregularities that were observed in the race that saw Mathieu Eugène reelected, um, and also some of the and 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 important issues um, involving the community, including TPS versus the general amnesty campaign that the good folks at Papa de Saline and Komukoda are launching. So all of this is quite fascinating. I think it's important to pay attention and. So tonight, we're going to um, listen to that interview that Brian Cunningham, who of course remains a player in the district, and who knows, maybe the one who wins next time, since uh, I, I believe Mathieu Jean is now term limited, cannot run again, and so maybe the next city councilman in that heavily Haitian part of Brooklyn. So it's very important to pay attention and of course, start building ties and relationships. Now, um, we are also going to be talking about, of course, the Battle of Vertiers, which is celebrated on November 18th. We'll, we'll be um, reading a very popular blog post by creolicious.com about the Battle of Vertiers. And we'll also be talking about, uh, for Thanksgiving, um, our colleagues at Eritiba uh, de Saline are doing a trip that they do annually to commemorate the uh, slaughter of the Native Americans on that date. So um, we'll be talking about all these things tonight, uh, as well as a few other items uh, that have been popular in the blogs. So, but let's start, uh, let's start in with Brian Cunningham on Eritibaba de Saline. It's a 15 minute clip. Um, let's hear what uh, Brian Cunningham had to tell uh, Daoud André. Et nous pralfons t'y parler qu'on y a ensemble avec Brian Cunningham qui, j'en nous dit, dans le 40e district là, monsieur est allé dans le Trokekon ensemble avec Mathieu Eugène. Il y a des gens qui comprennent le bagage à la fini, mais ce n'est pas pour tout le monde que l'élection lui-même est finie. Et nous avons sur la ligne avec nous Brian Cunningham. Brian Cunningham is a young activist, we can say, in the 40th district who he went to challenge Matthew Eugene in the last the last week's election. And he, he, it's very interesting that he, he, the way it turned out because we saw, he, for example, Jumani Williams who he defeated his his opponent in, i think 96 to 3 or something like this but he, this was closer than many people expected the uh, brian how you guys doing thank you so much for having me on today 
Yes. If you can speak a little bit about uh, the election, uh, Brian. Well, first of all, who you are, because many people in our community, uh, this is the first time they're hearing your voice uh, on Haitian radio over here. Yeah, well, I'm so excited to be on. My name is Brian Cunningham, as was mentioned. I'm a lifelong Brooklynite, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, Flatbush, Flatbush. Um, but I was raised by Caribbean parents. My mother uh, migrated from Jamaica, West Indies in 1975 um, with $56 and a dream like most immigrants, um, particularly in the Caribbean. Um, arriving here, believing that America's streets are paved with gold and just knew that if she worked hard and um, worked hard on um, that you'd be able to provide the resources necessary and the opportunities for her two children, both my sister and I, um, went to schools, public schools in this community, and over the years I've had some extraordinary opportunities. I mean, I had an opportunity to begin my career as an advocate counselor at um, a youth program at Canberra, and from there I just saw some of the inequalities in um, public policy. Had a chance to serve as a special assistant to State Senator Kevin Parker of the 21st District, who you guys are very familiar with, um, served as chief of staff to Council Member Lori Cumbo, and uh, my last job before running for public office was serving President Barack Obama's My Brother's Keepers Alliance initiative in Washington, D.C., hoping to close the opportunity gap for over 5 million young people throughout this country who are underserviced. Um, so that's who I am. But at the end of the day, I'm just a guy from the neighborhood who cares about our community and um, was dissatisfied with the level of leadership that I've seen our current councilman provide for the community and thought that we deserved better. Um, so I stopped complaining about it and put my feet to the plow and decided to run. And um, luckily, I was able in primaries to um, earn trust and respect of only 30% of the voters. And in the um, general election, I was able to increase that number to almost 40%, um, which is really extraordinary. Um, as you know, running against an incumbent, a 10-year incumbent, is an extremely challenging task. Um, but I think we made a lot of headway. And our message of um, it in our time has not gone um, quiet. And we continue to advocate and fight every single day for residents in the community. So looking forward to what the next phase of the life looks like to me. Well, Brian, if we can speak a little bit about Tuesday, we saw that as the election was happening, many things that were not supposed to happen happened. And Matthew Eugene basically got caught on film and video doing things he was not supposed to do as a candidate. If you can speak about that. Sure. There's a process in New York City and New York State um, called electioneering. Um, electioneering um, refers to the idea that a political candidate or their surrogates cannot campaign within 100 feet of a polling location. So while it is okay for the council member or for a candidate to walk inside and to speak to poll workers um, directly, it is not okay for a candidate to solicit votes inside of a polling station or within 100 feet of a polling station. And uh, unfortunately, our council member um, did not um, abide by those rules. Um, what we saw on Tuesday was a, um, a harsh reality that um, sometimes the political games can get very um, desperate and people can do things that are illegal. And we did see the council member on video and on photographs and it's well documented over the course of election day um, committing several crimes as it pertains to electioneering. Um, and I'm hoping that um, that gets magnified and amplified and that something gets done about it from the Attorney General's office in New York State. Mm -hmm. If you can speak about uh, what happens now in terms of this process, because I know that there's the election, there are the, the results, there's certification of the results. Are you challenging uh, the results uh, based on this 
electioneering that uh, happen? I think there would no there would be no way possible that I would not be able to challenge would I would I not challenge this um, because the law was broken. Um, so absolutely, uh, my lawyers and our team are looking actively into um, what steps we can take as a campaign. Um, to challenge the outcome of the election um, because obviously a lot of illegal behavior took place inside of our polling station that should not have taken place. <laughs> and tell us uh, right now, uh, what are you doing? I mean, uh, in the time now, the uh, for some people, the election is over. Uh, mm-hmm. There is the possibility of this challenge. We met this morning, and you were telling me that you were out in the streets uh, basically fighting for the community. If you can speak about this experience this morning. Sure, sure, absolutely. This morning, I had the opportunity to attend a press conference for a woman who is in her 80s who lives at a building 585 East 21st Street who is currently being illegally evicted by her landlord. Um, her landlord is evicted her for not signing her lease, um, which she did not receive because it was in the wrong name and the wrong spelling. But what's happening throughout our district is a lot of unscrupulous landlords, a lot of bad actors are taking advantage of our seniors and trying to force them onto the streets in the middle of winter. We have a woman who has spent over 20 years in her building, over 40 years in Brooklyn, um, being pushed out by a corrupt, crooked landlord. And these are the kind of fights why I found myself in the Democratic primary, why I find myself continuing to fight in the general election, because these issues are issues that are affecting um, our community, and particularly the immigrant community, where oftentimes, because of language barriers or because of access to resources, we are disproportionately being pushed out of our neighborhoods, and this has to stop. We also had a conversation this morning about immigration, and it's uh, something that is personal for you, and uh, about uh, these 11 million people who are here undocumented in this country, and how while there's a lot of noise about uh, the 300,000 people who have TPS and the 700,000 kids who have DACA, but the 11 million, no one is speaking about this. If you can tell us your thoughts about that. Well, obviously, as somebody who um, has um, parents who came to this country from the Caribbean, um, someone of Jamaican heritage, I think um, I've said it over and over to folks that my mother, when she first moved to this country, was, quote, unquote, undocumented. Um, And because of her undocumented status, it put her at grave risk of possibly being deported. Um, I think in our conversation, we talked a lot about um, another Republican um, president, Ronald Reagan, who provided um, asylum um, for folks in 86. And that's something that we should be talking about, not just um, temporary fixes such as TPS, which I support the process of TPS because it has kept people here. But certainly we got we to take it a step further and make sure that those 11 million people um, receive asylum. It's, I'm it's, looking forward to working with any groups that want to push that conversation. So uh, what we're talking about is a general amnesty. So this is something that says, yes, you know, we understand. This is what the language is, that we understand that folks came here without papers, like they, they were supposed to come here with papers, but uh, they are here and they've lived here for so many years and they have families, they have put down some roots here and just like it is not right to 
uh, tear apart the families of Dhaka, uh, uh, of uh, uh, the TPS families, the the other folks who are undocumented, and uh, somebody, uh, everyone needs to fight for them as well. But I want to ask you like something personal, because you are, like you say, a lifelong Democrat. Why is it so difficult for Democrats to embrace issue, real issues like this? Well, part of the issue is the Democratic Party in general has been um, very weak over the last few years because of all the corporate money that comes into the coffers of um, Democrats. And that's money in politics is destroying the process of real policy and real solutions being addressed in our local process. Um, that's my short answer for um, that, which is why I was proud when the Democratic Party did not embrace um, some of the ideas that we were pushing for. So I was happy to run as a third-party candidate to echo and animate some of the issues that are taking place in our community every single day. All right, so uh, I want to thank you for coming on. And uh, another thing that, uh, because the community, I have to tell you, really felt that why uh, are you staying away, basically? Why have you not come to the community to speak about yourself, to ask for support? So this is an, an opportunity for you. You're speaking to a very large Haitian audience within this district over here. So what do you want to say to the people now that the, the, that election day is over? Well, I want to say to um, the Haitian American community that um, my hand is extended to the Haitian American community. And I, I, I want to say that while the election is over, I will fight for equality and full inclusion of people of color are not get over. Um, we are going to continue. I'm going to continue to be an advocate, a fighter, someone who advocates and agitates on behalf of this community every single day. I am not going anywhere as a result of this election being over. In fact, um, my my um, ideas and my positions are further emboldened to be a person going to stand up for the rights of every single immigrant, every single marginalized community, um, as long as I'm alive. So I look forward um, so our continued partnership and our continued work moving forward. And I do apologize that this um, this has come so late, but I continue to want to be an advocate and fight on the issues that are important. Elected or unelected, I'm committed to you. Thank you very much for your time, brother. Thank you. Okay. C'est ça, nous sommes faire un petit palais ensemble avec Brian Cunningham. Monsieur Janoudi, c'est lui-même qui est allé en face de Mathieu Eugène dans la dernière élection. Il y a un capable de faire un dans le journal, de vidéo. Excusez-moi, qui n'a Internet là, côté, et bien Mathieu Eugène, rentré en dans des bureaux de vote, côté, l'aller, et battre le monde, bailler la main, embrasser le monde pendant que eh bien c'est un bagage qui est élémentaire si ou candidat ou rentré dans bureau qu'on gain pour rentrer à wal voter mais on pas gain droit comme quoi pour rentrer pour aller et faire campagne dans bureau de vote là et gagner moun tout qui certifié et bail avocat que leur arrivé dans bureau vote yo gain moun qui a travail dans qui comme quoi mon navini pour aider eux qui dit eux comme si si pour eux voter on pour un lot démocrate faut qu'ils votent pour Mathieu Eugène tout si pour eux et comme quoi gain gain mon même qui certifier que y aurait mettre y ont bulletin tout rempli 
ak non Mathieu Eugène la dani pour yo capable voter c'est certain que Mathieu Eugène li te gran pile l'argent nan meni et pendant campagne nan gen moun ki fè konnen se 500 dollars yo fè pou jounen pou yo mete yon et bagaille et image Mathieu Eugène sou machine yo gen lot moun ki di ke e, moun yo noute wè nan la pluie nan chaque bout de coin pratiquement qui qu'un bon photo Mathieu Eugène nan men yo ça c'est pas moun ki tal campé peut-être et Mathieu Eugène défend communauté nous ou bien Mathieu Eugène fait bon travail mais certainement parce que eh bien il yo touché pour ça ouais yo touché pour ça et c'est et ça que monsieur Sot dit là problème l'argent dans le processus politique pas bon ici là la caille nous tout côté moun aller et puis candidat pour acheter moun qui donc c'est ça et nous même bon côté pas nous certainement communauté en connaît nous partisans c'est pas un bagage que nous pas et gain passe pour qu'il a et là dans ni nous penser que Mathieu Jeanne monté et n'a coquin li gérer n'a coquin et et premier côté le tal bail l'agence c'est et yon institution que lui-même li t'a dirigé qui était dans mes frères li et tellement nan coquin que et bien city council là yo bloqué que institution ça qui t'a doué t'es supposé à bail service pour jeune monde pas capable joindre corps encore qui donc ça nous voulait expliquer eh, nous pas gagner pour nous dire avec Mathieu parce que et Mathieu salié assez salié mais communauté nous par exemple là que n'a critiqué en série de bagages qui a fait en Haïti ouais et et puis nous-mêmes n'a fait même bagarre là pas boy ici et puis nous-mêmes c'est comme quoi nous pas réaliser si c'est nous-mêmes qui était en place monde ça au canadien qui tape peut-être nous tape fait plus mal ouais et c'est ça qui toujours difficile pour mon admettre c'est que il faut qu'on garde réalité pas faut qu'on garde chaque jour qui ça ou même on a fait là que et bien on a faire des critiques sous et Matéli sous Jovenel sous et et bien Préval Aristide l'autre l'autre Mounsayo qui donc c'est et c'est ça qui pour nous-mêmes nous penser communauté en ta doit comprendre All right legacy of 1804 that was an interview of Brian Cunningham, who was a candidate for city council in the 40th council district right here in Brooklyn. Obviously, this is a, this is a district containing East Flatbush, parts of Crown Heights, um, parts of Prospect Lefferts Gardens. So those are um, heavily, uh, you know, that, that's kind of a, a big Haitian bastion right here in Brooklyn and, and, and indeed in New York City. So you guys see that you are on the line. And of, of course, that's we're joined by Yves Giral from Florida. And uh, but before I open you blind so that we can delve into discussing this segment, I just want to remind everyone that um, here at Legacy of 1804, we amplify Haitian voices live on air every Friday night. And that is just the audio version of what we have been doing online at kitsiacity.com since 2005. We're also on Tumblr, Instagram, Twitter at the handle at Kiss Chaosity. And there are 50,000 of you 
following on Twitter as of a few weeks ago, so I am very grateful for that. Thank you. If you enjoyed tonight's show and you find it for uh, and you find it constructive, please share it to your social networks. You can also just embed the player on your site or blog. To see what Haitian bloggers from the world over are saying, go to at Haitian bloggers on Twitter or to the Facebook page titled Haitian bloggers. I've put those together for you. You can listen to past shows on iTunes by searching the keywords Legacy of 1804, and past shows are also available under the LOF 1804 tab at com. To participate tonight, you already know what to do. Those of you who are listening on the web, if you want to call in, do so at 714-242-6119, 714-242-6119, then press 1, and I'll know you have something to say. And, of course, we're going to be talking about Vertier after this conversation with Hugues, and we're also going to be talking about National Day of Mourning on Thanksgiving. Um, that's going to come a little later. But let me open Hugues Girard's line. Hugues Girard uh, from Florida, welcome. And, of course, as everybody does or doesn't know, I'm, of course, in Brooklyn, New York. So, Hugues, um, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Greeting, Alice. Greeting, listeners of... Uh... Legacy of 1804. Once again, it's a great pleasure to be back on the show. Interesting conversation so far. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, one of uh, the, the the questions that retained my attention is to came from Daoud to uh, Mr. Cunningham as to um, why he didn't reach out earlier to the Haitian American community. Um, uh, I guess at this point, it's, it's neither here nor there. I, I suppose it, it made sense that the candidate cho um, chose to look forward into the future. And um, in, in the way he let uh, the Haitian-American uh, community know that uh, his arms are open and he's there to serve the whole community, um, which is what, you want, what we would expect from uh, uh, you know, someone seeking to, res to, to represent a whole district. Um, that said, um, I, I thought I saw somewhere along the way that uh, Ms. Fortin uh, uh, expressed interest in tonight's show. I hope she can join us and, uh, and give us a little background and information as to what happened. Um, I still maintain, I, I think, I had Mr. Uh, uh, Cunningham uh, uh, gotten closer to the Haitian-American community. I think he could have carried this in light of everything we've heard so far as to what happened with the... Uh, um, Eugene campaign and, and, and the debate and, and the, uh, the events of uh, the last debate between the candidates and um, and the events on election day uh, themselves. So I think there's, uh, there's rich material here for exploration. Yeah, so he, he ended up getting 40% of the vote, which is quite impressive because as Joe said, yeah, it's substantial. As um, Daoud said in uh, the clip, uh, Jimani Williams, who is in one of the neighboring council districts, won with over 70% of the vote, if not, if not even more. Uh, most mm. of the people who won win with landslides like this, the Democratic incumbents. So yeah, no, definitely Mathieu Jean. Brian Cunningham gave Mathieu Jean a run for his money. Um, I'm going to assume that some sort of tactical, I, again, we can only speculate, I'm going to assume that some sort of tactical decision was made that, um, well, the Haitian vote is going to go to Eugene, so let's focus on other segments. 
I, I, I don't know. I think it was faulty. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, really at the very least, you want to get on the Haitian radio. I mean, you know, people like me, we would have spoken to him earlier than we did. We spoke to him like three days before. Daoud André would have spoken to him earlier. Um, I don't think he had the same amount of funds, obviously, as Mathieu Jean did. I think he had, a, he had a very good grassroots campaign. He had, I think he had some very excited campaign volunteers. And just like in my district, Jabari Brisport had very excited volunteers. And um, I think everybody did uh, as good a job as they can. But yeah, I think a, a, a tactical slash strategic mistake was made in not reaching out to the Haitian community much earlier. Um, if I mean, if at all, well, you know. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that's that's unfortunate. I, I you know I don't know if he would have carried it, um, but I mean what's sad though is at the end of the day here it is our our friend in one of the you know one of the poorest districts in Brooklyn are gonna go five more years I think these yeah just five more years with the kind of leadership that they have in the last ten years and a lot has already been said about the problems with that leadership. So five more years, and you know, gentrification goes so quick. I mean, in my neighborhood, five years in my neighborhood kind of wiped away so much. <laughs> so mm-hmm. God only knows, you know. I mean, in in the clip they spoke about, um, you know, a woman being evicted. I mean, God only knows. I don't have any of my old friends here in this neighborhood with me anymore. And you know, my friends who did not, my friends who were renting are no longer in this neighborhood. I mean, period. The end. So. This is going to be a bloodbath. We also know that uh, Mayor de Blasio, generally speaking, has not really done um, very impressive stuff for affordable housing. A lot of people in Brooklyn are very upset with him, including a lot of activists. And of course, so, uh, Eugène is an ally of de Blasio and got endorsed by de Blasio. So uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's going to be an unfortunate five years, um, unless this campaign pressure forces this candidate to fix certain things and correct uh, correct course. And of course, basically, I mean, you know, we, I mean, we know here that elections aren't the end all and be all. We have to, we have to be awake uh, during the whole five years. And uh, Brian Cunningham is a community activist and, you know, obviously we're just going to have to pay attention to the issues in the district. And, um, uh, and, and basically campaign on, uh, issues. You know, there's going to be some issue campaigns in the next five years in that district for sure. I know that there's real problems with the schools, real problems with, uh, again, uh, affordable housing and potential displacement as the uh, uh, the, the tornado <laughs> of um, gentrification uh, and displacement just, you know, gets deeper and deeper and deeper into Brooklyn. So, um, so I, you know, so I, I, I guess that's that's my take on it. I think that uh, that only made some good points in the clip. That, um, you know, we love to talk about irregularities in Haiti. It's true. We're always pointing the fingers at, you know, how how awful the politicians are in Haiti. And some of us here kind of want to have, kind of want to act like we have the moral high ground on that. But look, right here, here is a Haitian American elected official. Uh, doing a lot of the same things here, uh, of course, allegedly, but yeah, there's allegations that you know people who that people who are supposed to translate for Haitian voters ended up giving them filled out voting ballots, for example. Um, and of course, um, 
uh, Brian Cunningham says that his lawyers are looking to, you know, to challenge results. Between you and me, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of energy behind that. Um, uh, and um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's always better with these things to act on the front end than on the back end. But but yes, but Mathieu Jean definitely, you know, all eyes are on him, and it appears that lots of people are kind of sick of that form of leadership. You know, if if people like Laurie Combo, who's like an up and coming you know, young politician, young Democrat in my district got the exact same treatment that Mathieu Jen got, and she's a younger Democrat, uh, then yeah, people are, you know, what we know is that people are kind of sick of uh, that way of doing politics. So I don't know if there's anything else that stood out for you. No, um, that's um, the essence of it. All the issues uh, sound very much like bread and butter issues that um, we've heard before and we've, we've been hearing all along. Um, so now the future remains to be seen as to um, what Mr. Eugene will do with all these promises and uh, the mounting issues in his district. Yes, when we heard the debate last last week, remember, on every challenge he got from Cunningham, he said, "No, we're already doing that." I don't know if you remember. That was that was, that was his number one uh, tactic, you know. Uh, and you know, I thought he actually did better in the debate than I thought he would. Uh, but he was adamant, "No, we're already doing that. We already want that. We already do this. We already do that." So. Um, Certainly, there's a lot of complaints that he's very absent. He's not, you know, he's not accessible. So, you know, we'll we'll check in. Uh, obviously, people like Brian Cunningham definitely will be watching. I'm not in the district. You're not in the district. But we'll check in periodically to see, um, <coughs> sorry, to see, um, you know, whether indeed. And of course, unfortunately, when a candidate is, is in their last term, they don't. They're not going to get reelected. They know this. So I don't know. Do they even have an incentive to change anything? Or do they just sit there, sit pretty, and just collect their paycheck? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh -huh. so, you know, it's all a question of legacy. And if this uh, councilman wants a better legacy going out, outgoing, um, we don't know. Time will tell. Indeed. All right. So let me move on to a popular blog post <clears throat> that um, was distributed widely and received lots of retweets, even when it posted to my timeline on Twitter. Um, and that is, of course, it's the uh, anniversary of the Battle of Vertier. And that's going to be celebrated everywhere tomorrow and probably, you know, just this weekend. But of course, the date is November 18th. And uh, there's several celebrations. There's right here in Brooklyn, there's one at Twinel tomorrow night. Um, but anyway, the, the, the blog post is titled Haiti History 101, Five Things to Know About Battle of Vertier, The Turning Point of the Haitian Revolution. Now, um, so the Battle of, of Vertier took place in the 19th century. Uh, are you interested in knowing uh, more about the Haitian Revolution? Of course you are. Well, read on. So what's Vertier and why was it a big deal? One, Vertier was the last link to France's domination in Saint-Domingue, colonial Haiti. In 1802, France dispatched veteran military man the Viscount Rochambeau to Saint-Domingue to squash the local army headed by former slaves and freed slaves. 
Gradually, the rebels drew France's troops out of the region. Bertia was the last region not yet lost by France. But according to Nicole Jean-Louis, it didn't remain a French stronghold for long. Writing in the book, History and Culture of Haiti, Journey Through Visual Art, Jean-Louis asserts that Vertia's location in the northern part of Haiti made it an especially attractive territory for both France and the rebels. Jean-Jacques Dessalines, Haiti's revolutionary leader, attacked Vertia on November 18, 1803. A massive rainfall followed by a series of thunderstorms caused a submersion in the battlefield. Rochambeau pulled back, Dessalines declared victory, and the following day, Rochambeau sent a representative to negotiate his departure from Saint-Domingue. Two, the Battle of Vertier is recognized by many historians as the Haitian Revolution's most significant battle. It's to the Haitian Revolution what Gettysburg and the Battle of Franklin was in the U.S. Civil War and what Battle of Yorktown was in the U.S. Revolutionary War. Mary Bonk, in her book, World Mark Yearbook, states that Haiti's edition of Veterans Day, Armed Forces Day, is also celebrated on that date. Three, some of Haiti's historical leaders gained their reputation on that day. Among these historical leaders was a man named Francois Capois. Some sources I read spell his name Capois, C-A-P-O-I-X, as well. Also nicknamed Capois la mort, Capois of death. Historian Jacques-Nicolas Léger attests that Capois' horse was shot, and even as he was hurled down on the ground, he kept on fighting and urging the soldiers with him to march on and fight on. Rochambeau was so impressed by Capois' bravery and his determination that he ordered a ceasefire so that he could personally congratulate Capois, after which the battle resumed. Well, the next day, as part of France's surrender, Capois was sent a brand new horse by France. Well, must that have been nice. Capois was reportedly murdered at the orders of future King Henri Christophe three years later after these historical events. I'll, uh, I'll add, and that's, of course, the author here, Creolicious, as allegedly mis on me because that was the historians say. Uh, I don't want to slander these historical figures, but that's the story. Besides Capois, ahem, um, well, besides Capois, there was another soldier named Augustin Clairvaux, also, well, okay, who had the historical distinction of firing out the first shot in the battle. Interestingly enough, Clairvaux was among the half-white, half-black military officers called mulattoes who had been dispatched as part of the squadron to restore Saint-Domingue to France. The historian Laurent Dubois contends that, uh, like fellow military officer and mulatto Alexandre Pétion, Clairvaux abandoned Rochambeau and joined the island's rebels against France. Four, like other battles of the Haitian Revolution, Haiti's women soldiers were very active during this battle. In addition to being supporting team members, Haiti's women also served as nurses for the French soldiers as part of the agreement that Dessalines and Rochambeau made, the Surrender Pact, according to Léger, French soldiers who were not in condition to embark the boat to leave for France were to be nursed in the hospitals on the island until they could depart for France. Five, the battle's significant, uh, significance is celebrated in modern times too. Did you know that several of Haiti's presidents did reenactments of the battle to commemorate it? According to historian and writer Michael Debert in the book Notes from the Last Testament, The Struggle for Haiti, in 1954, Paul-Eugène Magloire, who held the presidency that year, did an on-site reenactment complete with cannons and soldiers. There you have it, folks, the story of the Battle of Vertier, what it was, what took place, and why it was important. All right, so I, I don't know if uh, you've noticed you, that there's kind of a particularly feverish 
attention being paid to uh, Vertier this year, uh, including uh, as Eddie Danton weighed in. I unfortunately didn't have a chance to listen to her Facebook Live about Vertier, but, and I don't know if you did. Um, not much, uh, but it's it's such a a, 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 a Haitian story. Um, that's uh, I think it's it, it's one thing that any uh, Haitian school child can tell you um, that because they don't wait for school, they go to school knowing about the Battle of Vertier because it was uh, uh, that heroic an event because it's so central right after, um, it, it's as if uh, Haiti's uh, 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 um, crowning moments began with Wakaima uh, um, and uh, ends with Vertier because, uh, uh, well, after all, you know, all was said and done, um, the Haitians won. Um, and many questions have been asked, uh, you know, People who try to, to downplay the significance of that event, they'll they'll ask questions like, and it's it's some of the battles I've I've, I've had with with some people online. They'll ask questions like, um, well, what was your strategy? My answer is, who cares? We won. You know, clearly we had a winning strategy, whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> we won. End of story. Yeah. Well, I mean, wasn't um, the strategy Kupetat Bulekai? I mean, well, there was one. That was one. <laughs> you know, and you know, it was guerrilla warfare. We 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 showed how guerrilla warfare works, and uh, and we used it to our advantage, and we won. Uh, you know, I've heard things like, "Well, you know, you guys got lucky because it rained, uh, and and the muskets got wet." The gunpowder, the French gunpowder got wet. Otherwise, they would have wiped you out. Well, yeah. I'm terribly but sorry. Always, but there's an element of luck in every war, right? I mean, to Haitians, all it means is that God was on our side. You know, as a response to the people who said, well, no, you had a, you know, you, you made a pact with the devil. No, God was on our side. Um, <laughs> if, if, that, if you want to look at it that way. Um, and then uh, uh, another very annoying question that I, I, I hear about Vertier is, well, were you guys ready for independence? Vertier was never about independence. The whole war was never about independence. It was about freedom from from, from shadow slavery. Independence exactly. was something that was independence was something that was forced or, uh, upon uh, um, the, the the rebels because uh, the uh, Napoleon's camp was so immature. You know, later he would go on to to express his regret of not having uh, taken Toussaint's deal because Toussaint was not interested in in in, in, um, in independence. But after Dessalines saw what happened to Toussaint, he's like, ha, ah, okay. And then then when in eighteen oh I think or one or two when they uh, heard about Napoleon having reinstituted uh, uh, slavery in Guadeloupe and Martinique and that they were on their way to Saint-Domingue, the Guadeloupians alerted the Haitians and the Saline is like, well, you know, there's no going back now because we're, we're, there's no way we're going back to being slaves, which is all Napoleon wanted to do. He wanted to reinstitute slavery because it was too profitable to let go. Anyway, so that's my take on, on Vertier. It was a heroic battle. Um, 
should we should we describe what we've been told as as, as school children growing up? Uh, uh, you went through to the Capoeira more uh, situation already, um, mm-hmm. and the Salin launched the bottle uh, um, early in the morning, and then it stopped again. And, and when it started to rain, he said, "Now is the time. Let's go." And the French were basically were caught, you know, flat-footed. But we won. That's the long and short of it. And 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 I think uh, uh, that's the thing that the French have done uh, once Pétion handed them the education system of, of of the island is that they've minimized everything that we've done to the point where people would ask yeah. them questions like, "What were you ready for independence?" That was the independence point. That's why I call the question dumb. Um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 and I think this is a singular event that. Uh, we shouldn't just take it for granted that we won, but we should have been extremely vigilant. And the the AD, uh, uh, Haitians have been very successful at, um, you know, killing our instincts of, uh, you know, of not making us more uh, uh, more aware, more 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 vigilant, more suspicious of. Uh, uh, um, People dealing of of the the, the Western world dealing with Haiti, uh, seeing what what happened afterwards, and uh, here we are today, where to the to the point where I've I've heard Haitians themselves said, well, that was a mistake, you know, we shouldn't have gone this route. Um, I'm not going to question the wisdom of what, the forefathers. We, that was a mistake, and what we would have been, uh, what a, a, a French uh, colony to this day. Uh, yeah, Louisiana and, and, would still Louisiana would still belong to France. Uh, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 just speculation. I think the uh, history yeah. moves forward, and you can't you can't yeah, change the past. Look, whatever it is is, but I mean seriously, we're sitting here in the middle of essentially a a, a post-colonial struggle against the UN and the UN occupation mm-hmm. in Haiti. We're actually seeing what mm-hmm. it's doing. I mean, what qu'est-ce que blanc fait pour nous aujourd'hui? This notion Nothing. that like you're you're gonna be better off uh gouverneur. Mais qui ça blab fait pour nous aujourd'hui? Qui ça blab fait pour Puerto Rico aujourd'hui? Qui ça qui ça fait pour Puerto Rico pendant que les derniers ouragans se passent sur Puerto Rico? But long before we got to Puerto Rico, you know, your fair ITP has paid. Exactly. That victory has cost Haiti everything. We Haiti have been paying for that history for the last 206 years. That's very clear. That's very clear. Um, anyway, joyeux yeah. fête de vertier to all. Happy vertier day. It was great victory. Uh, um, we have that, nothing but pride when, for this. When people get confused, when people get confused, I think the point you made is always a clear point. And, and whenever I speak about 1804, that's always what I speak about. We said no to slavery. I don't and know how you tell someone. I don't know how you tell someone not to say no to slavery. And I don't know how, as well, a descendant, how as a descendant of the people who said no to slavery, because we did have uh, Dr. Jerry Gilles on the show specifically say. Had 1804 not happened, there would probably be no Haitians today because the the uh, the slaves, the African-born uh, and slave people who made the revolution were on the verge of extin- extinction. They were going mm-hmm. to be made extinct. <laughs> so there's yep. no, I mean, 
whatever it is you want to think about independence, Haiti as a country, blah, blah, blah. Just think about, uh, do you tell people who are fighting to not be slaves to not do it? Really? Yeah. Strangely, yes. There are some people, uh, you know, I, I call the, um, you know, the, the parasites, natural born parasites who live off people's free labors and, and, and such, to them it's very upsetting that you should decide not to be a slave. You know, that's the whole, that's why they have a whole philosophy uh, built around it. You know, you have the Bible telling you that you were born to be a slave, therefore you're rebelling against God's will by not accepting your fate as a, as a slave. And, and, and everything that comes with it. And they truly believe that, and they, they, they've invested a lot of energy and time uh, uh, driving that message uh, um, back to, to Haitians. And I have to say, sadly, it has worked. It has worked. You have today people wishing that we didn't do that. You have people, you have people hoping, praying that we will lose our independence, that we will lose uh, uh, our uh, sovereignty, okay. and that we will become and, somebody's and have colony. These people, have these people been watching Puerto Rico, which is not, not, not only on the verge of bankruptcy, but which basically is also not uh, being bailed out by the United States? Um, that's, yeah. But, but that's, that's, yeah. that's a whole other topic. Correct. Correct. Um, for me, Vic, right, so here is a singular me, moment, um, and I'm proud. Yeah, let me open the line to caller in 613 who's been waiting patiently. I apologize, caller in 613. And then, of course, we can come back to this topic. Um, caller in 613, you're live on the air. Good evening, guys. And um, it's been a, a while, but I've been listening to the show, really enjoying uh, both the discussion with regards to the election in New York, of which I was not aware, and now your exchange with regards to the Battle of Vertier. Uh, so on, on the Battle of Vertier, the couple of comments I'd like to make um, is that the victory that we won, uh, um, yes, it is extraordinary. Uh, it's uh, worthy of all the praises that um, it has received. Uh, but I think more important than the fact that we won uh, is the emphasis that needs to be put on why we were fighting. Uh, you know, there, there's been all kinds of other celebrated uh, generals in, in the history of warfare, but I think uh, that war which took place in 1803 is singular in that sense that uh, General Dessalines, um, Sanit Belair, and all the others who participated can uh, very um, proudly say that they weren't fighting to steal other people's property. They weren't fighting to, you know, increase the power of their gang over another gang. They were fighting for something that is sacred. And so the moral superiority of the African struggle is something that we should never uh, uh, lose sight of. In that regard, I think we cannot talk about November 18, 1803 without linking it to October 17, 1806, to make sure that we understand mm -hmm. that winning that battle 
was not winning the war. And Dessalines himself reminded us of that throughout his two years of governance. As soon as he uh, became uh, head of the nation, first as governor for life, because you know it took some while to regularize the titles, and then he became president and then emperor, those are details. What's most important is that when he published his um, the Constitution in uh, 1805, in April 1805, you you saw some laws in there that were truly revolutionary and singular. There was no other state that was created in the world that had articles stating things like slavery is forever abolished, uh, things like you know, to be a good Haitian is to be a good father, uh, stating things like, um, you know, uh, for now on, uh, 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 you know, uh, Haitians will be known by the generic of blacks. Those things were in that constitution because Dessalines' ob- objective was to affirm the humanity of the African on that island. Like um, I think it's Alice who mentioned, you know, we need to realize that you had a, a large number of people living on the American continent who had no status as human beings. And Dessalines wanted to make sure that the African family, the men and women who had lost almost all rights to their own bodies, to their names, to their families, to their religion, to everything, could reconstitute families. And that's why you had articles in there stating that a good Haitian is a good father. This is a fundamental thing. And we're still living the consequences of that period of time when the African family was broken. Because at any time, the white criminals could take over your mother's body. And so the African could not know who his father was. And so by stating things like that in the constitution of the country, Dessalines was clarifying that we shall no longer talk about Timon Deo or Petit Deo or, you know, children out of wedlock. These are the things that made all the distinctions between the Africans, the Afrashi, the mulattoes who had fathers, etc. So he was really trying to heal the African soul. And so when I talk about uh, October 17, 1806, it's, I mean, to summarize it in just one sentence, I always like to say that nous baillons un pile bon coup, mais nous portons mac tout. In other words, we have won victories, but we should remember that we also carry the scars. Nobody goes through 400 years of slavery on case. Okay, we are broken people. And that's why to this day in 2017, we are trying to heal the Haitian psyche. And, and we say Haitian uh, because of you know, territoriality, but for all intents and purposes, we were Africans with no land to call our own on 18, uh, in 1803. And to this day, we are fighting 
to have land of our own, whether we are on the island of Haiti, whether we are crossing the waters to try to get to the mainland United States, crossing to Canada, etc. The fact is the African is still running and running and running for his life, whether it is on this continent or other continents. And that's what Dessalines was trying to establish, an oasis where the African could live as a human being. And so on, on, on October 8, uh, 17, 1806, Pichon and the other criminals, with the complicity of the whites, undid the revolution. And so we need to realize that it's not sufficient to celebrate Vertier. Uh, because Dessalines did remind us on January 1st, 1804, that if we are just celebrating, we are being stupid. Because in the streets, in our laws, everywhere you look, you see the mark of the French. That's what he said. He said, we still even have French men among us, and we still think we are free. We needed to continue the battle. And that's what I think we are facing today when you see Jovenel Moïse and his goons saying that, okay, well, Haiti won its independence with a military, therefore we need a military of 500 idiots who are going to be <laughs> killing black people and call themselves an army. So we need to make sure that we get the rhetoric right so that people understand why we won that battle and not, you know, the you know, the celebration of, yes, yes, uh, Capuala Moore did something extraordinary, et cetera, et cetera. And even that little story, I say we need to be careful about it because there is something insidious in this thing that we are happy that uh, the whites were applauding Capua. This is bullshit. They did not do that, okay? This is the kind of stuff that the mulattoes wrote after the war, Okay. Uh, the French would not have stopped the war to applaud, okay? This kind of fairy tales that they put into our stories, in fact, that sometimes we applaud, are actually there to distract us from the reality. One out of five black men died in that war. Yes, we won, but we paid a heavy price in terms of human capital, in terms of how many people we lost. To that mm -hmm. war. So it's not a question of celebrating only. It's to realize that, yes, we survived because their plan was to eradicate us from the face of earth, and it is still their plan. I'll stop here, brothers and sisters. All right, Legacy of 1804. Thank you. That was our, uh, that was our uh, listener, Jafik Haiti, from Canada. So we've got New York, Canada, and Brooklyn on the line tonight, as we often do. Um, we like to have uh, all the corners of the Haitian diaspora dialoguing, which is always very good. And yeah, point well taken. As I was reading from uh, Creolicious, which, you know, it's, it's always good to know that these young bloggers, many of whom are born in the US, um, are doing their best to keep these um, traditions alive. Uh, but yes, indeed, uh, <laughs> when I read that too, I was like, oh, that doesn't sound right. Not Oshambo brought the dog to, to you know to, to eat um you know not Hoshambo who, who who is known as like one of the most cruel people uh we ever had on the island uh didn't it didn't sound right to me either so thank you for pointing that out now 
I want to, um, you know, of course, we can continue discussing um, Vertier as much as we want, but um, equally important to that in the blogs this week from L'Union Suite, we saw a very interesting story. Now, we have had, uh, I have played clips of Jean-Jean, the Dominican, um, the Haitian, uh, sorry, the Dominican actor of Haitian descent, um, who was here in New York during the Haiti Film Fest presenting his documentary on the plight of his mother um, as she was among those to be deported and, and, how, she, and, and how he fought to keep her in the DR. Uh, by, and then the documentary was about, uh, it was called Yuli. Um, I forget the rest of it, but anyway. The, the, anyway, so this, um, here is uh, <laughs> the type of ungratefulness and ingratitude that we get um, as Haitians, right? So, uh, you know, we stood up and said no to slavery. And then, you know, of course, in the rest of the Caribbean, there's, there's, there's an endless, uh, you know, we know that the perceptions of Haitians in Martinique, Guadeloupe, uh, Dominican Republic, I mean, just about everywhere, Bahamas, uh, you know, endless. Um, mistreatment of us, um, you know, by people who unfortunately really are just very ignorant of history. Uh, and, and uh, you know, whenever I run into this type of stuff, I say, well, you know, these people are just ungrateful. And I mean, here is another really ungrateful situation. Um, the headline from L'Union Suite is Haitian Dominican actor Jean Jean on being the face of the DR's Oscar campaign. <laughs> Oh, so it's the same fella. So, so here it is, Jean Jean, right? Who is, uh, who is, uh, who who is one of those denationalized Dominicans of Haitian, but a uh, who went to film school in Cuba, and who is extremely talented, obviously so talented that he starred in a a, a production in the in the DR called Carpinteros that has received awards for the DR all over the world. And that very production is now, um, uh, and, and, you know, they're doing a campaign, an Oscar campaign for it, because it's Oscar campaign season. And who is the face of the Dominican Republic's Oscar campaign? A denationalized Dominican of Haitian descent, Jean-Jean. What say you, gentlemen? <laughs> Let me just read the story, and then um, we can continue. I mean... I, you know, I just keep being baffled at these types of things, right? Um, and I mean, obviously, it's it's great for the campaign. Can I be heard? Am I still heard? I hear you fine. Okay, good. <laughs> just wasn't sure. Uh, so let me just read the story, uh, which came out in Union Street. Here are six things we learned about Haitian Dominican actor Jean Jean from his interview with Remiscla. The lead actor is currently on tour as the face of the DR's Oscar campaign for his role in the movie Carpinteros, Carpinteros, but he's undocumented in his home country. The film Carpinteros is the first Dominican movie to screen at the Sundance Film, film Festival and as the country's best foreign language film Oscar submission. Carpinteros is making waves both at home and internationally. Jean-Jean recently shared his struggles in a Facebook post explaining that like his character Julian, he too feels imprisoned. As a Haitian-born immigrant who has lived in the Dominican Republic for the last 25 years, he has been unable to renew his status since it expired in 2015. Unfortunately, this is a problem that plagues many Haitian immigrants 
despite the Dominican Republic's controversial regularization quote-unquote program passed that year, which was meant to enable eligible Haitians and their descendants to formalize their citizenship or residency status. So um, <clears throat> friends are currently reaching out to the government trying to help Jean-Jean as a result of that Facebook post and we're told that it continues to be that of non-resident and he should be on the lookout for requests for more documentation. However, no one from the government have reached out to him. Jean-Jean thinks uh, Julian's character could impact the perception of immigrants from Haiti and Dominicans of Haitian descent. In the interview, he explains, What's shown in the film is a reflection of the real world and the movie touches on real problems like the overpopulation in the Victoria prison, which was built for about 2000 inmates and now houses approximately 8,000 people forced to live piled up on top of each other. Jean believes the subject of immigration is the subtext underlying the entire film. The film can have an impact, in fact, it's a universal theme. Many viewers at film festivals around the world have identified with it since it alludes to a borderless reality. If you notice, the film touches on communication between one prison courtyard and another and is set on an island where two countries live back to back but don't speak the same language. These are the connections that folks are making at an international level, which we might be missing at the local level because we've normalized the situation with Haitians and Dominicans, even if it's not regulated by any laws. Keeping the immigration system chaotic benefits the government, and it's been that way since 1929 when Haitian laborers began migrating to the Dominican Republic to work the sugarcane fields. Uh, any feedback, any reactions to the story, gentlemen? Uh, it's it it sounds very familiar. I have to say, I didn't realize we were talking about the same um, fella. Uh, uh, um, yes, this as, is the same Jean-Jean who came here and said what he said about right. Arnold Antoinette. Yes, that's the same that's one. Right. That's right. <laughs> remember he, that now? Do you remember that now? <laughs> yes, very clearly. Very, very clearly. Wow. Quite, quite a story. Now, because I read that story, the Mescla story, in the context of several other familiar stories uh, of uh, um, Dominicans of Haitian descent uh, being the face of the Dominican Republic in, in baseball, for example. Um, how many uh, 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 huts, uh, Haitians undercover, um, you know, they had to deny being Haitian uh, in order to get, uh, um, to get to baseball. As you know, baseball in the Dominican Republic is, is literally an industry, uh, complete with uh, high schools uh, 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 set up, you know, farmhouses really set up by uh, the Major League Baseball. Um, and so I was reading that story uh, along with uh, uh, another story of a uh, uh, Haitian Dominican who eventually did get a contract with, uh, with the Yankees that he almost lost because uh, the contract was signed under one name and then they found out that uh, uh, it was a fake name so they had to go back and find his real birth certificate uh, and then reissue the contract, et cetera, et cetera. But it's another example of what uh, uh, Dominicans of Haitian descent have to put up with, uh, um, uh, 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 even though they have been really, really good for, for that country. So um, I failed to make the connection. It was for, me, for me, it was just another example. 
of uh, of uh, um, Haitians being the the the, the face of uh, of the Dominican Republic. There's so many examples we could point to. There was this fellow uh, who won, I believe, uh, some medal at the last Olympic Games for um, either boxing or uh, wrestling, or, or one of those full contact sports uh, uh, for the Dominican Republic, etc. I, I thought you were going to move to, to go back to Vertier and make the connection with uh, recent development in Haiti. You tell me when uh, you think this is a good time to make the segue, unless you want to add more to the current topic. <clears throat> no, go ahead, um, unless Jaffi Kaiti has anything to add to this story. Uh, Jaffi Kaiti, your well, line is still open. Yes, yes, yes. I was on mute, so I just... Uh... Um, I'm yes, back. and I mean, thank you for that. Thank you for that. That's much appreciated. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, you know, I wasn't very familiar with this thing until it came up on the web uh, about Jean Jean um, and um, and like Hug, um, I remember seeing the Olympian also, who is also you know from Haiti. I mean, I think what's important for us to keep in mind though is that we're talking about one island here. And that was what Vertier was about, was about freedom for all of these African people who were denied humanity on the whole island. On, on, you know, like technically the only reason why today the Dominican Republic exists is because of white supremacy having that ability to gang up uh, even when they are at war with each other. So General Ferrand... <clears throat> There was a French general who stayed in Santo Domingo, and the Spanish were happy to keep him there, although technically, um, you know, France having lost the war, it's the whole island that became Haitian, but they, the Spanish and the French kind of worked together a deal, so they kept Santo Domingo under Spanish control, uh, and that's why Haiti had to go and fight with them. Uh, and so... You know, when you see black Dominicans, um, uh, you know, struggling for their humanity on the eastern side of the island, we need to remember it's us. It's the same people. And yes, of course, some of them don't even realize it, and some of them are as racist as the lighter-skinned Dominicans, and, you know, you have all kinds of nonsense happening on the island. Um, But it's the same thing. Like, you have... Uh, on both sides, whether it is the side that we call Haiti today or uh, the other Haitian side that, uh, you know, and, and, you know, you hear people call the island Hispaniola, which is ridiculous. This is giving, you know, the Spanish criminals, you know, victory over the fact that, you know, they, they thought this island is, is a little Spain, you know. The whole island was called Haiti, it was, it was, and it was liberated by Dessalines. And so, you know, it's it's difficult in 2017 to make sense of that, but I think another place where we can see that uh, play out is when you have, uh, you know, uh, famous Dominican writers coming together with Erich Dantica, uh to fight against the racism uh, that Haitians are facing on the Dominican Republic on the basis, again, of race. And so there's something very fundamental that we need to remember. And, and there are some uh, Dominicans, I, I, you know, I take my hat off to them these days, who are fighting corruption in Dominican Republic and who are organizing large demonstrations these days to remind uh, the population that when the corrupt 
Dominican politicians are trying to tell them that Haitians are the the threat to their well-being, that they're actually just trying to hide their corruption behind this, and that it's not the Haitians who are the problem, it's the corruption in the country. And so I think that being said, you know, I'm one of the people who boycott Dominican Republic products. Uh, but as, as as much as I do that, you know, I keep in mind that it's not the individual Dominican that is the problem, but rather the racist state. The and uh, and and that racist state exists also on my side of the island, uh, on the Haitian side. That's why you have people celebrating, you know, Diné en Blanc on the Haitian side. You know, having those you know lavish parties in the middle of uh, ocean of uh, hungry people, and, and, and they don't see anything wrong with it. Just like the old Afghanshi uh, of the plantation time who thought that it was okay for them uh, to just uh, enjoy a lavish lifestyle while their brothers and sisters are dying uh, uh, in slavery. So, you know, this Jean-Jean thing, um, I don't know. I, I, I need to read more about it to understand it. But, you know, I'm just it's just that i know in this in the next few months it's likely that tensions between haitians and dominicans are going to continue to increase and people might use those things to justify the military on both sides of the island and that can be very dangerous if we don't um you know call upon intelligent people on both sides of the island who know the history of the island to make sure that we don't let the elites play us. All right, and Hugues, you also wanted to tie that uh, Jean-Jean story to Vertier. So go ahead. Um, Jean-Fique, I think, did that wonderfully. It is indeed all about Vertier, and, and, and it is because of Vertier that the, um, the island was uh, um, eventually uh, free uh, of uh, formal chattel slavery. And I say formal because um, when you really look at it, I mean, slavery is alive on the island to this very day. Um, we could spend a lot of time on the, on, on the Bates and, and, and point out how the entire Dominican economy uh, from sugar plantation to the resorts today was built on the back of Haitians uh, who um, have been brought into the country to, to work basically as slaves. And we have documentation of, uh, um, you know, a, a successive Haitian um, governments organizing the shipments of uh, truckloads of uh, uh, Haitians crossing into the Dominican border, into the Dominican Republic, crossing the border without any papers and to heading directly into the sugar plantations to work. So that's basically what you call a mass deportation when you have your own people going into a foreign land and uh, they have no way of proving who they are. That's what the Duvalier family did for, for decades by just, you know, paying, you know, unsuspe unsuspecting peasants to just get on a truck and go into the Dominican Republic. And when they tried to escape the Bate, they couldn't. And that same government uh, um, just basically refused to provide them uh, with, uh, you know, civil status with uh, identity papers. So there is that. So uh, um, there's a straight line from uh, the time the first African, enslaved Africans were brought onto that island on 1503 to today. And, and to that, in, in that sense, you could say slavery 
has not for 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 for, for the black masses for the African masses uh, slavery had never ended really um, on on that island. But um, fast forward to today, uh, the, uh, as we celebrate Vertier, uh, we're trying to connect this with what's going on in Haiti as we speak right now. Uh, uh, and speak of how this illegitimate uh, government of uh, Jovenel Moïse installed by the core gang, um, uh, how this government is now using Vertier as an excuse, as a, a, a distraction to bring back uh, the mur murderous, uh, his murderous gang, his, his militia, and calling it a uh, Haitian army. Um, Jovenel, Government of Jovenel Moïse, as you probably know, is planning to a, a big coming out party. They intend, they're trying really hard to make a big splash on the 18th, bringing back a ragtag groups of mercenaries that they're calling the Haitian army. And worse yet, they're trying to sell this new army as the one that gave us, uh, that gave Haiti its independence. And it's a complete uh, um, fallacy. It's a complete uh, um twisting of history. So for those who are not aware, let's be clear that um, the Haitian army, uh, the, the, they call the indigenous army, the rebellious uh, uh, former slaves and freed blacks who got together and led the battle of Vertier. Well, uh, and that tradition died in 1915 when the uh, invaded uh, and occupied Haiti. They just basically went door to door and disarmed weapons that had literally been passed on down from father to son since um, since the War of Independence. And they disarmed people and they created this new force that they, I called at first like God Daiti and then it was the Gendarmerie and finally it, it was uh, uh, rebaptized as the Armed Forces of Haiti. So we want people to understand that, and, and those are the people who took over after Duvalier left. We want people to understand that those people have absolutely nothing to do with the army that uh, 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 is tied to Vertier. And, and that's the kind of usurpation that uh, Jovenel Moïse is trying to, to, to pull this Friday. Basically, you have 500 or so people uh, who are recruited by whom? No one is really clear about that. In fact, I, um, I contend that uh, uh, we have no way of actually telling whether these people are, are, are Haitians. For all we know, they could be any kind of black mercenary who have been, you know, told to integrate this force and uh, uh, with other plans that we'll find out about much later. Um, that's my suspicion. Um, to make the story short, so you have these guys who've been recruited by whom we don't know, uh, trained in Uruguay. And I want to point out that Uruguay is the site of the School of Americas. I don't know if you remember the School of Americas out of Fort Benning, Georgia. That was here where for years um, the U.S. trained dictators throughout Latin America. Uh, certainly the Pino Scher, the Ostrosner, uh, the military dictatorship of uh, 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 Argentina and Brazil, that whole area, plus some from Africa. They all graduated from the School of the Americas, also known as the School of the Assassins. Um, after a lot of pushback from, uh, hate, uh, from American militants who didn't want that kind of school in their country, the U.S. government uh, was, quote unquote, forced to move the school to Uruguay. And that's where a lot of Haitians, funny characters such as 
Guy Philippe have been going to train for years. And, and this new crew uh, 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 is coming out of Uruguay. Uh, so as I said, recruited by uh, unknown people, equipped, uh, dressed, fed, housed. We don't know, uh, certainly that money was never in any Haitian budgets for the last, uh, the, for the last 10, 15 years that we know of. Yet here are these guys coming. They look spiffy in their new uniforms, and they're passing themselves off as a, a Haitian army. And the timing with what's been happening in 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 in, in Haiti is, is significant. Um, I want to point out, by the way, uh, this army is problematic for a lot of people in Haitian society itself, including people like um, Mario Andrizol, who was. Uh, 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 who's a former uh, director general, a former head of, the, of Haiti's national police. Um, he, he pointed out several things wrong with this army, including um, the fact that um, the people taking over are not military officers. They're just employees of the new uh, reset Department of uh, Defense in Haiti. And the fellow who has been pen-picked by Jovenel to head this new uh, uh, quote-unquote army, which is really a militia uh, devoted to Jovenel's um, government, um, Le Sage, uh, lo and behold, uh, he has been linked to the murder of uh, uh, attorney uh, Yves Volel back in 1987. Apparently, when Borrell got shot at the uh, uh, police headquarters across the street from the Port-au-Prince, from the National Palace in Port-au-Prince, uh, this Lesage person was a communications director for the the police station, Wichesh Criminel, where Yves Volel had gone to uh, uh, fight for a client of his, and Yves Volel was shot uh, on site. And now we have this new, uh, quote-unquote, chief of the army's chief of staff um, who's linked to, to that event. Um, so it, it's just another way of pointing out that uh, everything about this new army is also uh, illegitimate. Um, so I hesitate to call it an army. I call it Jovenel's militia. Uh, but they, they were getting ready uh, uh, for, to, to put on a show and uh, all the observers on the ground in Haiti are pointing out how disorganized the whole enterprise look. They are, they're in a rush, but they are wholly unprepared. Um, to the point where the new uh, chief that they have appointed, that they have appointed uh, uh, is there by interim. Uh, very problematic to have a new army and to have the chief uh, there uh, only temporarily. That uh, in a nutshell points out that um, it's not quite definite yet. Jovenel did issue because um, they're trying to give this a legal standing by pointing to, you know, a, 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 their favorite articles in the Haitian Constitution that call for a, a, a professional army. Um, but this army does not have a doctrine, as we know, military men and women uh, don't, uh, you know sacrifice their lives and take other lives uh, for no for, for uh, any reason. They need reasons, and that's what a doctrine does. It, 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 it provides you with a belief system, 
with uh, a cause. And this army doesn't have one because, uh, well, it doesn't have a cause. Um, the Haitian society is very divided as to how, if at all, to bring back an army and what that army should look like. Um, so that's where we are with uh, Jovenel, who did, oh yeah, that's the point I was trying to make, um, who did publish on uh, a decree in the, the official government paper, Le Moniteur, to um, inform society, inform the citizens that the army is back in business. And the critics were quick to point out that Mickey, Michel Martelly, did the same thing back in 2013 or 2015, where he was certain he was going to bring back the army, and that decree um, didn't stop him from dropping the whole enterprise because back then he didn't have the he didn't have the approval and the support of his handlers to bring back the army. Um, some critics have pointed out that the, uh, this army that Jovenel is trying to bring back, uh, although officially um, opposed by uh, the Americans and the core gang, but we sense that it's actually uh, uh, it's their work that they're actually bringing back this 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 basically militia and they're calling it an, an army and they are uh, you know setting up a theater of opposition uh, to this army even though um, the army is probably there to pick up where the UN left off um, this army we can already link it to events at Grand Ravine um, Maybe I should stop there. I don't want to confuse people as to uh, um, get too much information at once. Should do we should, yeah, should we go like, into the Ravine? So, we still haven't had a UN departure show or quote unquote UN departure show and the new woman they sent and Minu Juice and whatever. I've been meaning to have that show. We're gonna have it soon. Um, yeah, so we may want to just save all that for them. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, just to, to to make it short, yeah, just to make it short. Yeah, go ahead. Um, go ahead. Mm -hmm. There were some events at, at this poor neighborhood called Gravin where, where where something like eighteen civilians and counting eighteen and counting civilians were were killed by the national police this this past week, and uh, the speculation is that uh, Jovenel is, is because those deaths followed the death of two other SWAT team members from the National Police who were killed also in the neighborhood, uh, um, following the death of several other officers uh, uh, um, recently, police officers in Haiti. And people are speculating that this is coming from inside the Jovenel government, uh, uh, desperately trying to show the people that, uh, um, that they need an army because even the police cannot protect them because the police cannot protect its, its, its very self. Uh, hence, uh, all these killings. Uh, right before Jovenel deploys his army. That's the connection I want to make without going into further details. So we, as we celebrate this year, uh, mm -hmm. we expect to see uh, this parade um, tomorrow, the 18th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and is that what they're going to be un, unfolding that new quote-unquote army tomorrow? Is that is that what's happening? Or? Yes, yes, yes. There'll be parades in Vertier. You know, Cap Vertier, by the way, uh, uh, people need to know that it's an uh, actual neighborhood in uh, north of uh, uh, Haiti, in, in, in Cap Haitien. 
um, and the the entire government basically has moved itself to Vertier to to uh, uh, to show to play on people's nationalistic yeah. sentiments to, as they deploy to this new army. To capitalize on that powerful symbol. That's a, that's kind of what's uh, happening. Absolutely. Mm. All right, so this is great, um, and I'm I'm very happy to have had both of you, uh, gentlemen, um, weigh in um, and call in on our different topics tonight. And um, I'm I'm you know I'm gonna let you kind of open mic it in a moment, but I did want to play a clip uh, that I was asked specifically by the good folks at Haiti Papa de Saline to play, because they organize a trip every year for Thanksgiving, uh, where, which is of course it's Thanksgiving. It's also uh, a kind of morbid anniversary of the slaughter of uh, Native Americans by uh, the pilgrims. Um, so they, they organize a trip annually. Um, and uh, Daoud, I'm going to let Daoud Henri explain it in his own words. Uh, this is a clip from his show earlier this week. Fuck me, Dimunio, Pablié, Jeudi, Capé, 23 novembre, c'est date que nous prenons dans Plymouth, Massachusetts, dans la Journée nationale de la National Day of Mourning, côté que dans le jour Thanksgiving, les Native Américains, les indigènes, les Pabouïsites, eh bien, ils ont même marqué comme un jour d'œil, parce que, eh bien, c'est massacre que Blanc fait sur eux, qui a célébré dans le jour ça, qui donc nous demandé famille vini ensemble avec nous dans autobus ça cap dérapé à 6h du matin devant radio panou jeudi 23 pour aller dans Plymouth Massachusetts al porter solidarité nous même gens que famille nous yo ancêtres nous yo te fait ça c'est 30 dollars participation n'a pas encouragé moun yo et bien et pour supporter si ou pas capable aller ou voulez supporter pour aider un autre monde qui pas gain moyen aller faire route là définitivement il relé nous 347 730 3620 347 730 3620 au soit 718 282 09 65 718 282 09 65 nous remercier toute famille qui au même yo déjà bail solidarité toute famille qui au même et bien yo et et pas praler et yo supporter quand même gens que yo toujours fait ça donc merci merci en pile All right I guess that's pretty self explanatory um and I guess we've kind of pretty much run through our planned topics um I don't know if gentlemen you want to have um you have any final thoughts final remarks before we close um, I, I thought that that clip was really important. You want to tell our non-English, uh, non-Creole um, oh, of course. speaking <laughs> listeners what this was about? Yeah. I thought it was pretty, pretty important. Yeah. So obviously, um, for Thanksgiving, the the, the Native American community uh, in well, the, I think Native Americans nationally probably what they do is they converge to Plymouth, Massachusetts, to do a National Day of Mourning because, as I just said, Thanksgiving. Um, it's, it means it's one kind of holiday for the mainstream. It's another kind of holiday for the Native Americans who essentially got exterminated uh, from the arrival of the pilgrims. And I don't know if this is a true story, but the idea is that as you know, the natives were giving the pilgrims turkey, which is of course a, a which is a um, 
an animal that is native to 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 this to this to the North American continent. Uh, that in exchange they were given um, uh, blankets with with chicken pox or something lethal like that um, by the pilgrims. So you know, which goes to show that as they thought they were welcoming friends, the others thought they were understood very well that they were at war um, and were going at war with the Native Americans and won because today the Native Americans um, are for the most part extinct. So. Um, so what Dawood was saying is that they organize a, a trip to go up there um, and that basically, you know, I guess he leads kind of the, you know, the Haitian contingent to go up there or probably just the the, the, the activist from, from, from his part of Brooklyn. And he, he is, by the way, from Maturjan's district, from the 40th Council District. Um, and um, so they, it's $30. They take a bus, they go, and that, that's what they do on Thanksgiving. Um, they actually go and um, participate uh, in solidarity with Native Americans to the Native Americans National Day of Mourning. And so that, that clip was to invite people to join. And he was asking that those people who cannot join, uh, at the very least, donate $30 so that somebody who can't afford to go can go. Uh, and of course, um, he gave his phone number. Um, but, well, and anyone who actually wants to participate can just reach out to me um, at alice.backer at icloud.com. So there we go. Very good. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, thanks very much, guys, for putting on the show this evening. I just wanted to add one thing with regards to the um, uh, the uh, incident at uh, Maranata School earlier this uh, uh, last week. Uh, just that um, there's a school director who's still uh, missing, um, considered abducted by the illegal regime in Haiti, Armand Louis. And that you know pressure needs to be maintained so that the uh, illegal government in Haiti doesn't uh, uh, kill him. Uh, and that can you uh, can you can you can you actually give us some background on the incident? Yeah. So earlier uh, this, uh, I guess it was last week, there was a, a massacre that took place in. Uh, the Grand Ravine or Bolos uh, area. It's in, it's a it's a poor neighborhood in in Port-au-Prince uh, that's um, uh, that has a, a large uh, Baptist church, uh, and and that Baptist church has a school campus uh, in a nice little area in the country that's kind of uh, still uh, has a little uh, uh, tree coverage uh, in in the capital. And then right behind it, uh, there is uh, 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 the area they call Grand Ravine, which is really, you know, uh, you know, people building houses and you know makeshift houses in in, in very difficult uh, conditions. And there's plenty of evidence that um, uh, gangs have been operating in that area, and that the current uh, uh, puppet regime. Uh, in Haiti has connections to those gangs. You even have one of the gang leaders, his name was Tep Kale, uh, who spent 
you know, who went on, on TV and radio describing how he, you know, was uh, the leader of that region now that he killed another gang leader, etc. And you have Jovenel Moise, who was parading in Gangavin with uh, uh, with Ted Kali uh, during campaign time, etc. So all of these things are quite disturbing. And so what happened is that earlier last week, there was a police raid there, and then uh, we learned that two police officers got killed. Um, and so, uh, and later on, um, we saw a statement by Jovenel Moise, who is the uh, the puppet uh, president, and then uh, the other guy who's, what's his title, prime minister, uh, Guy Lafontaine, saying that, you know, uh, condolences to the, to the police, and they said, you know, there were uh, maybe two civilians who were killed. Very quickly, uh, the social media started to publish different information, saying that uh, upward of 20 people were killed, and a very disturbing video came out by um, Haitian Information Project showing the cadavers on the ground, and you can count at least between seven and ten people on the ground, not counting the police officers because their corpses were picked up by the police. So clearly, uh, uh, Jovenel Moïse and, and, and Lafontaine were lying because they were saying that there were fewer people. But what's more disturbing is that each of the cadavers you will see in that video, which I hesitated to put on my Facebook page, but eventually decided that I will because people need to see what's happening. They, these people die with a bullet to the head. So obviously, um, uh, the, this wasn't you know, a case of battle with bandits because that's what the, the, the government had said, that they, they were fighting bandits in the area. And now what's coming out is that people are identifying the people who got killed. And there's one school professor that they shot on, on the grounds of the school. And there's one uh, school director, uh, Armand Louis, that they still have in custody. And so this is, you know, very, very graphic. You go on my Facebook page, you'll see it, and it's very disturbing. Uh, but uh, suffice it to say that this is happening the eve of what they're calling the return of the army in Haiti. So imagine they don't yet have the army, and this kind of things are happening. Yeah, quite sobering. And, yeah, I was thinking... This is kind of, you know, doesn't this, this doesn't this kind of, isn't this kind of reminiscent of, you know, 1957 a little bit, um, the type of incident you were discussing. All right. So again, thank you, gentlemen, for um, participating. That's kind of how we like it. We want to be able to um, have people call in from all um, uh, corners of the Haitian diaspora and. Um, from Haiti and discuss um, our affairs. So this was great. And uh, we will be back next Friday, uh, as usual. Stay tuned to the social media, to kisscassidy.com, to at kisscassidy on Twitter, to the Kiscassidy Facebook page, 
to find out what we're discussing next week. But yeah, we it's we're long overdue for a discussion of um, the latest with the UN. Um, also, there was um, I believe there should be footage from the um, uh, Haitian Creole Symposium that happened recently here, um, and it happens annually in Brooklyn at Brooklyn College. Uh, I'm going to try to hunt down some of that footage. So anyway, so that should give you an idea of what we should be looking at in the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, tune in for, for the exact topic for next Friday. And uh, everybody have a great evening. I know that people are going to be doing all sorts of things next week um, on Thursday and Friday when um, basically work is shut down in the U.S. So um, hopefully whatever people do, people remember that um, that day of thanks is also uh, a day of national mourning for Native Americans. And uh, I hope everybody has a great time with their families. And I will see, uh, well, actually, huh, I have to think about, yeah, we'll be here next Friday. That's not a problem. We will be here next Friday. Uh, and if we're not, I mean, we'll definitely make up for it on Saturday or something like that. All right. So um, everyone um, have a great evening. And uh, thanks again for joining us. I'm going to leave us with a little music. Um, since we didn't actually open with music, I will leave us with, uh, Misty Jean Lipatota. All right. The que your fave for the beauty. Every man is a l'étranger. Chaque jour, moi, toujours à penser. Qui côté me taille. A pays mal inquiété. Ça fait longtemps, mon vie tournée. Haïti, chérie, c'est où? Gade ti moun yo kap soufri Gade frem sem yo kap peri Tout kote ou pase na televizyon Se yon servizyon Ki len ap jwen non solisyon Men pou ki sa se konsaye Men pou ki nou pa chèche yon jan Gardez qui j'en méchanceté D'aller en pile malhonnêteté Pour qui division et malnutrition Fintu en nation Malheureux sans attention Pas de travail pied en marée Pas de travail pied en marée Pas de courage pour s'y porter 